Good morning. Merry Christmas. We can do that next week too if you want. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I do. What do we Kim? Everybody's passing out Christmas cards. I like putting people on my refrigerator. Although I guess I don't put them on my refrigerator, but I used to. If you want a Bible, you can raise your hand. Kevin is a servant and will serve you a Bible, just like he served me a music stand. Uh, and Kevin, I wouldn't mind a Bible, actually. That would be helpful. I was thinking about that song while we were singing it. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. Um, there are certain words um, that I look up every year because I forget what they mean. I'll take it. And, um, you know, like, in excelsis deo, like, it's not in my normal vocabulary. Um, it's kind of weird. But Noel, the only time I say the word no, Noel is a name. Like, this is my daughter Noel. And... Um, Jesus' name was Jesus, not Noel. And so I go, okay, what does Noel mean? Um, but I love it. Because Noel means news, or good news. And I get the sense that there's this crier. There's this person running down the streets of Jerusalem, sharing the news. Good news, good news, good news, good news. Born is the king of Israel. I like singing that song. Because our faith is news. It's not a philosophy of life. It's based in a fact, historical fact, and it is news, and it is proclaimed back then, and it is proclaimed now, and it is good news. It is good news. Tidings of comfort and joy is the good news we get to share. I enjoyed worshiping. Thank you guys for playing and all that was needed to make that happened. But you can open to Matthew chapter 1. We were going to be in the great book of Matthew. I am um, a bit of a collector and meditator of thoughts uh, about Christmas. And about the Advent season, and I'm going to share a few of those with us this morning. So we'll read our passage, and then I'll pray. Our passage is uh, down in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. And we'll stop there. Though we may refer to other parts of the Christmas story, including parts of chapter 2, but let's pray. Lord, Father, it is sweet to meditate on what you do, how you do it, why you do it. To be here in a season to think about the birth of Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to think about it. And Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here. Father, we ask that you would come and be with us and have your way, do your will. You speak, Father, in, in unexpected ways. You speak in parables and you show yourself in weak things that were easily dismissed. Lord, I thank you that you can be here in power in this very just weak thing that would be easily dismissed with just a group of people hanging out in a room. So we look to you and believe that um, you will join us. Lord, it is your desire to be with your people. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I entitled this 10 thoughts from the Christmas story, but I didn't get to 10. Um, I may get to five, but I may end at four. So um, I might have to think about the others, and I may have 10 thoughts by the end of the Christmas season, but you won't hear them all. Um, I have to wait till the next Christmas season. So I'm going to label each thought with a word that has to do with Christmas, and that's how we'll kind of organize our time. And the first word is the word sign. What is striking to me about the Christmas story is that there's signs everywhere. We have a sign of a star for the wise men. We have a baby that's supposedly a sign. We, we're just Jesus when we're talking about the Christmas story. He's just, there's just more signs than there normally are. And he's maybe geez, God's in the business of giving signs. Because he's giving signs to people to point them to Jesus. He's giving signs to people that are looking. He's giving signs to people that are not looking. But God is giving signs so that people can find Jesus. And when I think of that, I, you know what I think of? That God is still doing it. 
that we can rejoice in that together, that God is still giving signs to people to point people to Jesus. And let me give you an example. My story. I had a spiritual conversation as a lost atheist. So I engage in a spiritual conversation and I go out under the stars and I pray maybe my first real prayer in my life, which is, God, if you're really there, show me. And the answer comes in, I see a shooting star. And I think, ooh, hadn't seen a lot of shooting stars before that. Maine's a very cloudy, woody, people from the west don't understand it. We never see the whole sky the way Arizonans see the whole sky. So I hadn't seen a lot of shooting stars. I see a shooting star, I'm like, wow. But I'm an atheist, and so I don't really think that just happened. But I try again, a couple weeks later, God, if you're really there, show me. And there's another shooting star. Now, I did not become a Christian that day. But I was no longer an atheist. I was more open than I'd ever been. I, I had been prepared for the circumstances of my life that were going to come next. I was shown a sign. God is in the business of showing signs. Now, I had a friend tell another story, and he picked up a hitchhiker. And, and he picks up this hitchhiker and this hitchhiker is some combination. So he's, he's, um, he's blind and mute. So he can hear and he writes. And he's a hitchhiker. Okay. So he picks up a blind hitchhiker. And my friend, in his kind of lost state, he had grew up in church more than I did, but in his lost state, he tells him about his pyramid scheme and how he's going to be rich and how this blind hitchhiker can join him in making money. And then the blind hitchhiker proceeds to share the gospel with my friend and tell him that he is... He is hitchhiking all around the United States for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with the people that pick him up. And all he owns is in his backpack. My friend, with a picture of a Hummer on his fridge, is totally and completely floored. And because of a little bit of a church background, totally and completely convicted. Takes, takes the man home, feeds him dinner, sends him off. And God prepared him for the next things that, was, things that were going to happen in his life. 
the believer that he became, the fruit that came out of his life. And to this day, he kind of wonders, was that a real person or was that an angel? What happened there? But you start talking of signs, and he goes, ah, right there. And it's kind of fun for me to have, because I look at the Christmas story and I go, oh, this is a special thing that happened in a special place, and I learned about God, and he pointed people to, because Jesus is birth of the Son, but God doesn't really do any of that stuff now. And then I think about it and I go, that's not true. That is not true. God is still doing crazy things and giving signs with stars. And he does it. And, and it, it almost is like a parable when I tell other people. I'm all like, I can almost be, you never hear a story and you're like, oh, you have that story. And oh, I guess that meant that's something to you. But I'm just going to really dismiss that because that's kind of cheesy. And that was just probably your emotions. And, and, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I really want to share my star story. but he uses it like a parable, like it seems foolish to some, but he was in it. It seems easily dismissed, but he was in it. The Christmas story has signs in it. We have signs in our lives. And you can pray for signs in others' lives. And I just think sometimes, sometimes we don't. We don't look for them, we don't pray for them, we don't want our faith to be on touchy-feely things, and so we dismiss something that I think God uses and is really in the Christmas story. So that's the first thought, signs. Second thought, the, uh, the Spirit. We're going to talk about the Spirit. Signs is in the Christmas story, the Spirit is in the Christmas story, and so we have the Spirit, the Spirit of the triune God, the Spirit of uh, the uncreated God. And the Spirit animates Jesus' ministry, right? We know this. The power of Jesus is the power of the Spirit that God brings to him. But this is crazy. The Spirit of God not only animates Jesus' ministry, the Spirit of God brings Jesus to birth. Brings Jesus to conception. Like, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. So the Holy Spirit births, not births, but conceives Jesus and then empowers his ministry. And so Jesus and the Holy Spirit are very connected. And what a wondrous thing. What a mysterious, wondrous thing. And then I think about you and me. Did you know, we know, we that know Jesus Christ, we are brought to spiritual birth by the Spirit. The Spirit draws us. And our ministry, our life is animated, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are ways in which I'm dead. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, animated by the Holy Spirit. So my story and your story is an echo of Jesus' story. 
Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're empowered by the Spirit. Jesus born by the Spirit, we are born by the Spirit. Listen, Jesus resurrected. What are we going to do? Resurrect. Our story is an echo of this, of this larger, more meaningful Jesus story. And nobody expected a peasant preacher. Nobody expected the Spirit of God working in that peasant preacher. And you know, when I do ministry, and you do ministry, and you bring good, and you try, try to share the Word, and you try to love people, nobody expects the Spirit of God to be working in you either. In fact, sometimes we don't even expect the Spirit of God to be working ourselves. And Paul said, hey, I got this, I, there's this really like, like divine power stuff going on, but it's all in this jar of clay. Nobody expects it, but we walk in Jesus' steps because nobody expected it from Jesus either. And that wonder at the story of Jesus we can kind of connect that. that. There's a wonder in this story, and I'm connected to this wonder. My story is, is a wonder. When we came to Christ, God included us into this story. We come into this story with Jesus and walk where He walked. Okay, that's number two doing we're doing we're doing great all right the next story is this story is a beginning that's the next word the third point here is beginning this story is a beginning the word maybe the word we could say is a genesis a genesis the spirit moved over the deep a creation God spoke, and the whole world came to be, and then it fell. Right? The story of Genesis. Now, how far is God willing to go to fulfill His promise? What are you talking about? What promise? What desire of God? The desire to be with His people. The desire of God to be with us. How far will Jesus go? Will He recreate everything? Will he start the story all over again? If you were here last week, will he recreate Adam? Jesus as the second Adam? The early Christians imagined the Christmas story as a new beginning, as part of creation. As part of creation. Isn't that interesting? In fact, the time of Jesus, the story of Jesus, maybe even in particular the resurrection of Jesus, is, was conceived of by early Christians as the eighth day. Kind of weird. We work in weeks. There is no eighth day. But it was conceived of as the eighth day. Day. God's continuing act of sustaining uh, creation. God's continuing act of creating. So the early Christians gathered together 
on the Sabbath? Yes or no? No. The early Christians, see the Sabbath is the seventh day, the last day of the week. The last day of the week is the Sabbath. God worked for six days, then there was the Sabbath. The early Christians did not meet when the Jews met. The Jews met on the Sabbath. The early Christians met on the first day of the week. The eighth day. Why? Because they had a faith in a promise yet to be revealed. A promise that Christ came and brought into life and was going to come into life in the future. And it was a promise. It was a looking to the future. The resurrection happened on the first day of the week. The resurrection happened on the eighth day. So Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, uh, well, I guess we'd have to turn there. But it says, at dawn of the first day of the week, they're going to the tomb. At dawn on the first day of the week. So the resurrection happened on the day. Did you know circumcision was performed on the eighth day? Now, when we're talking about the future, when we're talking about the promise of God connected to the eighth day, circumcision would be on the eighth day because circumcision is all about the promise. It's all about the covenant. It's the sign, there's that word again, of the covenant. Did you know all the livestock are given to the Lord? Care to guess which day? Now, listen. This is the Old Testament phrasing. I'm going to read to you the book of Exodus. I don't know if... I Let them stay with their mother. Talking about the animals. Let them stay with their mother for seven days. But give them to me on the eighth day. God, in the Old Testament, is saying, give them to me on the eighth day. Why doesn't he just say, give them to me on Sunday, on the first day of the week, on what? He uses the eighth day, even though we go by weeks. God, the Old Testament, is introducing to us this concept of an eighth day. Kind of interesting. When Aaron and his sons were ordained the temple and his sons were ordained for service in the tabernacle, it was an atonement for the altar for seven days. And then Exodus 29 says, they may begin their service on the eighth day. That's when they offered the sins. They offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. Now, there's other places where this eighth day is message. You know Leviticus 14, where we have a direction for 
leprosy to be cleansed. When the lepers are cleansed, they're supposed to do certain things on certain days. And of course, when we talked about how when Jesus was proving that he was the Messiah, he healed leprosy, and maybe the only time Leviticus 14 was ever really used was for when Jesus healed a leper. Now, part of the instruction to those lepers once healed includes a phrase about the eighth day. You know the Feast of Booths where, you, where the Jews would live in a little tent thing? That is a symbol of the Jews that walk through the wilderness. So they walk through the wilderness, they walk through the desert, they're, they're going to the promised land. And the symbolism for us is we've been baptized. We've gone through the Red Sea. We are in the desert looking toward the promised land and moving toward the promised land. And that is part of the symbolism of our life. Well, the Feast of Booths happens. And when the Feast of Booths is over for that week, (laughs) then there is a direction for what to do on the 8th day there's that term again the eighth day the day after the walking in the wilderness the day after our life the day day connected to the promise connected to what is coming ezekiel prophesied a new temple a new temple in heaven. The return of the glory of the Lord. The altar is to be erected and consecrated to the Lord. Seven days are, are appointed for the atonement of the altar. And on the eighth day and following, the Lord will accept sacrifices for His people. The eighth day is the day of Christianity. It is the day of resurrection. It is the day of the new birth in Jesus. It is the eighth day that is now and not yet. We await the fulfillment of the eighth day. And Matthew viewed this, the story of Jesus from the Christmas story to the resurrection. Matthew viewed this as a new beginning, as creation, God creating another day. He viewed it as fulfilled promise. Open up your Bibles to the Matthew. I'll show you. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Let me hit you with a little, literal. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. That's the word. The beginning. And then, go down to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Well, that is a fine translation, but the word is, now the genesis of Jesus Christ happened in this way. Matthew is is using words to bring us to this place, creation. New beginning. There is something new happening here. Let's see. 
there's any other thoughts. The new age has begun for Matthew with the birth of Jesus. Okay, the next, the next word, the next thought here is the word Emmanuel. It's not a Christmas word. Emmanuel. And if we look at the passage in verse 23, we have a little quote. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a quote from Isaiah. And let's, uh, let's go into like the context of that Isaiah quote. Because I think it's interesting. Okay, so we have Israel split into two. We got the nation of Israel on the top, and we got Judah on the bottom. Traditionally, Judah has been more godly. Um, but they, they're not godly right now because they have a bad king. His name is Ahaz. Now, um, the Syria and Israel have come together, and they're going to attack Judah. So Judah's in... Jerusalem's in Judah, and they're in a bad place. King Ahaz is not, and the people in Judah are not very comfortable. They're under siege. And so they're under siege, but then Isaiah expresses hope with a promise. They have hope with a promise. Ahaz will get a sign. Your woman will bear a child. Name him Emmanuel. And before the child reaches an age of discernment, the war will be over. Hope with a promise. So when the child is born, you get that child born, it'll be a sign. The child will be a sign that you're going to survive the war. Sign of hope. Time, it's a sign, it's, it's a promise that there, there will be security in the future. There will be good in the future. The child is a sign of what's coming. So, so, so Jesus, the birth of Jesus to Matthew is a sign. What sign well first of all it's the sign of god in the world showing the character of god saving people from sins but also if we follow the context of the quote it is a sign that there is peace coming it is a sign that there is security coming and and matthew is not talking about the roman oppression He's talking about, for all of us, there's peace coming. There's contentment coming. There's security coming. The coming of Jesus to Matthew is a fulfillment of a promise. The sign of God with us is a promise of the overall restoration and healing of the world. Now, back in the context, what would that 
of, of, um, of Ahaz and Judah, what would that have done if I, if I saw that and I heard that and, oh, we're, we're going to survive the war, the war's not going to be very long? It would mean, it would speak to me. I'd go, oh, okay. Well, my circumstances, God is in control. He's controlling history. We'll get through it. It helps with anxiety. I have a sign. I'm not going to be taken over at least in the next couple of years, by these people trying to war against me. I'm not. My life isn't going to end that way. It's not going to go poorly. I have a sign. I have a promise from God. And when we go to Matthew, the emphasis is not on Mary. The emphasis is not on the virgin birth. The emphasis is on Jesus will be present with his people. This is the emphasis. Jesus is going to be with his people. God is going to be with his people. Now, that's the beginning of Matthew. Now, at the end of the Matthew, what do we have? Lo, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Matthew is bookended by God with his people. And as... The world transitions to the end. And, and to the biblical writers, the birth of Jesus is, is, is part of this transition to the end. We are to remain faithful through conflict and chaos. How, how are we to remain faithful through conflict and chaos? And we remain faithful because we have a sign in Jesus that security is coming, that salvation is coming, that God is in control of the circumstances. There will be peace. We have a sign. Jesus is a sign to the world. And because of that, it helps us stand through the conflict and chaos. And, listen to this, be a sign. What? I know I resurrected Jesus, but I'm not a sign like Jesus. Yeah, we're a sign too. We just keep, we just keep walking in the same things Jesus walked in. The sign verse is in Philippians 1. You can turn there if you want. Or I'll read it to you. It's just a couple verses. Philippians chapter 1 on 9.20 Only let, verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So Jesus is a sign to me. I am a sign to the lost world. And what is a sign? My not being afraid. 
I am not afraid. You are not afraid because we know. We know the end. We know heaven. We know peace coming. We know security. We know God's in control of the circumstances. And so we are not afraid. And when we are not afraid, it is a sign to the world that they will be destroyed and that we will be saved. It is a sign of the divine presence of God. Just like we say all the time, our love for each other is a sign to the lost world. Also, our courage and our fearlessness is a sign, and we are a sign. Just like Jesus. Not just like Jesus, but kind of like Jesus. Part of that story Okay, number four, let's talk about, okay, that was, that was Emmanuel. We are now going to talk about, we really know you're talking about Christmas when you start talking about Joseph. Joseph is our next word. Emmanuel, Joseph, spirit, Christmas words. Okay, Joseph. Some of you know this, but when you got married in those days. It was a two-step process. When we get married today, you have to do a couple things. You, you have to have a contract and send it into the state. And, and I know people that have had their ceremony but forgot to sign their marriage license. And so, um, and so you ask the question, when, do you get, when did you get married? And their answer is, oh, the month of May. Because it happened over a period of time. Now, it's kind of like that in the ancient world where you had the contract and then you had the like ceremony party part. And so what would happen is the families would enter into a contract, kind of it was an arranged marriage between so the, the, the fathers and would make a contract. The, that contract was set. That was part of the, the, the marriage. And then... And then the groom would leave and prepare a place for them to live, build an addition on his dad's house, build a house, just prepare in some way, and then come back and get his bride and, and, the, uh, and their friends, and they would celebrate. And so, marriage was over a period of time. So the angel comes to Mary between these two events in Mary and Joseph's life. So it always used to confuse me when you read it and you go, oh, they were betrothed to be married. But then it says, uh, Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. I'm like, well, why did they have to divorce? They were just engaged. But they were in the process of being married and the contract had been signed. So it was a divorce or would have been a divorce. in sacrifice and inward death. There's something that happens in a very clear decision that Joseph had to make. Joseph had to accept the responsibility of naming Jesus. When he does that, he is accepting Jesus as his firstborn son. 
Now, is that going to be easy? Because Jesus is not his firstborn son. It won't be. He's going to give all his stuff to his firstborn son. But his, that firstborn son is not from him. He does not get to sire his firstborn son. There's something in that that, especially in that culture, would be hard, I think. But Joseph shows his character. You know, even the genealogy in Matthew. So you read through the genealogy, and it's Joseph's genealogy. Um, but Mary kind of gets pushed into Joseph's genealogy, and Jesus gets pushed into Joseph's genealogy, but Jesus isn't by blood Joseph's genealogy. Now, Joseph's genealogy is important because Joseph is in the line of King David. And there is going to be an heir of King David that sits on the throne forever and ever. And so Joseph is in the line of King David. And so, and so Jesus is going to be in a kingly line if Joseph accepts him into his genealogy, if he names him if he takes him as his firstborn son, and then he gets pushed into this genealogy in which he's not really there by blood. But he is that genealogy because he has been accepted and he has been brought in. Joseph, by naming him, adopts a child. He gets to enter into the mystery of of the incarnation. And without Joseph, Jesus could not stand in David's line. And Joseph, I love it, there's not one word of question in him. Moses, there were some words of question. Zechariah, in the Christmas story, goes mute because of question. Gideon, question. We could come up with others. But Joseph's obedient. He's faithful. He's committed. He even makes the decision to divorce because he's righteous. But it is interesting. We have our righteousness, and I think about righteousness, I think about my sense of right and wrong and my sense of justice. But then you have that sense of right and wrong and justice, and it comes up against into God's mercy. It comes up against God's mercy and then righteousness looks different. It comes up against God's plan and it looks different. And, and Joseph is able to follow in that when, uh, when it's going to look unrighteousness and unrighteous in the eyes of the world. It's going to look sinful in the eyes of his community. He might be an outcast in his own family, in his community. suffering for the sake of obedience to God's call. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And it makes me think, see, Joseph gets to be part of this story, but what have we been walking in? How we're kind of part of the wonder 
of Jesus and the wonder of this story and the wonder of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it makes me ask the question, how far will we go in obedience to our call? How far will we go in discipleship? How far will you go in obedience? Is there anything God wants you to do? Is there anything God wants us to do? Walking with Jesus is a little bit like Joseph accepting his role. We believe a message and then we're carried along by the Spirit. The Spirit moves and we go with the Spirit. We believe a message and then move to something that is not us. It is the will of God and we let ourselves die. I mean, what an intrusion on this family and this couple. God came in and it was a crazy intrusion. But they followed in faith and their joy was multiplied. And what, where might God lead us? Or what might God do if we let Him? If we let the Spirit move us. As Joseph let the Spirit move him. As Mary let the Spirit do in her. They believed the message and walked with Jesus. How many was that? Five? I, I miscounted. I had six. But five is all we have time for. So five was my promise. And I came, I did it. I did it. Um, the Christmas story and it's how it attaches to our story, how it attaches to the rest of the Bible, how it attaches to prophecy, how we can look at it and wonder, how we can recreate it and meditate on it. It's, it's, um, it's part of the gift of Christmas. And so I'd just like to pray for you that God would us, that God would continue to give us those gifts. Well, Father, I, I just thank you for these thoughts, and, and, and Lord, we trust that you had some of these thoughts for each of us to hold, to grab. Lord, I pray your Spirit would multiply in us wonder. I thank you for the things we can learn about you, that you lead, that you bring signs even, God, that you show up in unexpected places. Father, I, I pray that you'd continue to lead these people in a Christmas season, and I pray that you would increase and multiply their joy, increase and multiply their worship, increase and multiply life inside them. And Lord, most of all, we just thank you for your gift of uh, Christmas we thank you for your gift of Jesus. We thank you for your gift of your word to speak us truth. We honor you. Father, I 
we all want to hold on to our life. And um, Lord, help us have an open hand as your Spirit guides us along. Prepare us for those moments when we are supposed to open our hand. Lord, we're not strong. I thank you that you can do that. God, that you are, that you are a God that can keep us from temptation. Lord, and may us this Christmas, because you are here, because we're your body, may, may there be more kingdom in this world, um, as is your kingdom in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent.